would that not have occurred to you, with all due respect? You were going to take a free holiday from someone you consider a friend, but obviously you have a different definition of a friend than the commissioner. You knew that they had a lobbying registry, that they were set up to lobby the government. How could it not have occurred to you that that might not have been okay? The fact is, we work... Uh, the, sorry, let me just try to reorder, reorder the thoughts. We um, worked with uh, the, the uh, lobby conflict of interest commissioner uh, on a regular basis on a broad range of issues uh, when the issues come up. On this issue of a, a family vacation with a personal friend, um, it wasn't uh, considered that there would be an issue there. Uh, obviously, obviously there was a mistake. Obvious. The Aga Khan is uh, someone who has been a longtime friend uh, of my family's, a friend of mine, a friend uh, to Canada as well. Uh, and for me to look for uh, a place to have a quiet vacation where I can have quality family time is uh, something we all look for with our families. Obviously, uh, obviously the issue uh, moving forward uh, will be something that I and no doubt future Prime Ministers will take much more seriously and be much clearer about uh, proactively uh, verifying e even uh, family-related friends' travel uh, uh, with, uh, in the future. Mike Duffy called them the boys in short pants. But either they're both boys and girls because I've seen them. Women and men. Hello, this is episode 34 of The Boys in Short Pants, the 35th episode. Is this uh, one year now that we've been doing this? It yeah, is. It uh, pretty close to the one year threshold. Just about. I think we did it probably like first or second week of January last time or last year. So Let's I think we Call us the anniversary yeah, special. Yeah, we, we made it. A whole year of, of podcast minus like those four months over the summer and like, you know, the last Some month. Some spots here and there. That's okay. That's fine. We're, we're only human. Um... So today, actually, very fittingly, because the first episode we ever recorded, uh, or actually, well, episode one, um, was about the Conflict of Interest Act and uh, Justin Trudeau's trip to Bell's Cay, you know, the picturesque island owned by the mysterious globetrotting horse, racehorse breeding billionaire, <laughs> the Aga Khan. Um, and today we will, in fact, be discussing that very same thing yeah we're a little late to the uh late to the show here but i think we'll cover it in greater depth than perhaps any conventional media would i think that is like almost certainly the case Good. so uh we're gonna break this up a little bit into, into a couple things i think we're gonna start by sort of a detailed walkthrough of what exactly is in the conflict of interest act and code and what is Trudeau guilty and not guilty of, or according to the commissioner? And um, yeah, that, that'll be good. And then we'll talk a little bit about some of the more political aspects and some of the more the, kind of the fallout from this. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's get cracking. I think first of all, before we really, really, really get started, uh, we should do a quick refresh on the difference between the Conflict of Interest Act and the Conflict of Interest Code. Uh, the Act covers what are called public office holders and designated public office holders, which is to say people who hold government offices, which is to say ministers, uh, their staff, uh, that kind of thing, people who actually hold government positions. Yeah, who work in sort of the executive yeah. of the government. Whereas the Constitution's Code covers uh, parliamentarians. Uh, so members of the House of Commons. Very, yeah, it's uh, part of the standing orders, so it's very strictly members of Parliament. Yes, uh, and no one else. I guess they're families. 
Yeah, to yeah, like yeah, a very, they have some peripheral yes, implications for families. To a very circumscribed extent. I, yeah. Your wife cannot accept the bribes for you yeah, sort of thing. That's frowned upon. Um, so yeah, just so we start off on that because it does have some bearing on what follows. Yes, because uh, Trudeau is both a member of parliament and the prime minister in the executive branch. He falls under both codes, or both the act and the code. Yeah. And therefore, uh, Mary Dawson's report, aptly named the Trudeau Report, um, discusses provisions from both, uh, primarily from the act covering yes. the executive, um, but it also discusses a one section of the code yes. as well. So there's also one important thing to note here uh, in this distinction is that the act is law. So uh, if you are in contravention of the... Con- contravention of the conflict of interest act you have broken the law i think it is it is fair to say by any conceivable metric if you have contravened the conflict of interest code no you have not broken the law you have broken a standing order of the house which does not have the force of law in the same way that the act does yes but in saying that it has the force of law we should put this out um, first and foremost because it colors a lot of the discussion to come the act does not actually set out really any punishments for breaking right um its clauses with the exception of some fine. minor mono- monetary penalties yeah up to a very very small fine up to five hundred dollars but they're not even envisioned for breaking rules they're envisioned as enforcement mechanisms for yeah. disclosures Basically, if you don't disclose your things fast enough, you might be subject to a fine. And this is what happened to our, our good friend, Finance Minister Bill Morneau, with regard to his non-disclosure of the holding company that owned his uh, villa in Provence. Yeah, so he got a $200 fine, um, but for all of the law-breaking of Trudeau that we're going to discuss, none of it is uh, will have any consequence, even... even Except the, for political. Even the fine is off the table, yeah. So it's entirely up to... The court the of public opinion, yes. the electorate, the and, highest court in the land, and parliamentarians to keep our prime minister in check. Okay, so with that said, let us uh, let us begin. Etienne, do you want to do you want to start diving in? Yeah, so let's just pick um, some of the sections. We're going to start off. We're going to maybe jump a little in between because there's some obvious parallels that need to be drawn between the Act and the Code. Yeah, and there there are parts where, for instance, he's guilty of a contravention of the Act, but not guilty of a contravention of the Code in sections that have very similar language, and we'll talk about why that is. Yeah, so let's start um, with perhaps the most basic and simple one, uh, which is Section 12, Travel. Um, Section 12 of the Act lays out that no minister of the Crown, minister of state, or parliamentary secretary, no member of his or her family, and no ministerial advisor or ministerial staff, boys in short pants, shall accept travel on non-commercial chartered or private aircraft for any purposes unless uh, in his or her required in his or her capacity as a public office holder or in ex- exceptional circumstances or with prior approval of the commission. Yeah, and, and we've talked a little bit about this in our in our episode from a year ago. And in fact, if I would actually re- go ahead and recommend listening to that episode from a year ago both to see how far we've come and also just to, you know, we like it was good analysis, so that that's it's actually not bad. So for instance, when it talks about exceptional circumstances, I think we use the example of like flying out from where there's an active volcano yeah, and there are no available flights and you just you have to do it and i think that the conflict research commissioner would say well that's fine no agricon i can't get on your helicopter <laughs> with the unethical of me yeah i must be consumed by the magma yes uh so that that's not at play here because you know this was a leisurely winter trip to the caribbean and it's and it's 
Yeah. Sees. So the very early reporting on this um, sort of identified that he went to Bell Island, and then as details, Bell's K. Bell's K. Let's use the billionaire island's name properly. Um, and then as details began to come out, there was this active question as to how he got there, and eventually was conceded or uncovered by a, an enterprising journalist. I'm not sure which. Um, that he had taken a helicopter. And the helicopter was of the ownership of the Aga Khan, therefore being a pretty obvious breach of this... This fairly unambiguous clause of the Conflict of Interest Act. Is it unambiguous, though? Ooh, that's a good question, Etienne. Are there potentially <clears throat> any ambiguities introduced by our, our system of official languages? Um, so, interestingly, Mary Dawson's report includes a hilarious line... Um, talking about what counsel for Trudeau submitted in their defense uh, against this violation. And they said that looking at the French language of the act, that the act said, I, I don't have the French translation in front of me, but instead of referring to aircraft, it referred to avion. Yes. And of course, Trudeau uh, used a helicopter, and so they <laughs> attempted to argue. Avion is French for plane. Yes, for, for those who are truly unilingual in our fine country. Um, so his counsel attempted to argue that because avion is French for plane, commonly understood as French for plane and not French for aircraft, which I think the interpretation is wide enough in French that it could also be aircraft, mm -hmm. um, that the definition should be narrowed to be understood as plane. And therefore his helicopter is good to go. The commissioner found this argument to be... Specious? Uh, <laughs> Is that a fair word? Of putting it. Yeah. And she basically threw it out. It had no regard for this stupid argument. It is a stupid argument. Um, which was great, though, because it's really... No I don't think anyone really reported on this, but it's really nice to see the Prime Minister's Council like resorting to the most barrel-scraping of legal arguments imaginable. Yeah, um, inconsistencies in different language versions of a law are like the possibly weakest argument you can ever stand on i'm sure trudeau read the law before getting on the helicopter in french and was like oh, oh this is, he, he like i can see you just looking at the act and like nodding looking at the <laughs> helicopter nodding <laughs> it's like yeah we're good we're good here <laughs> no problem it's all clear uh, but yeah, so suffice it to say, Mary Dawson found that he had contravened that section of the act. So, boom, guilty. Yeah, check one, yeah. or strike one, I suppose. All right, let's bump on to section 11, gifts or other advantages. And this is where things start to get spicy and convoluted. Um, so section 11.1 of the act states, No public office holder or member of his or her family shall accept any gift or other advantage, including from a trust, that may reasonably be seen to have given to influence the public office holder in the excise of an official duty or function. Uh, official power, duty, or function. Yeah. If you guys are at a computer while listening to this, it may behoove you to just do a quick Google and Health Interest Act so you can keep yeah, up with the, along, the different follow. sections. Yeah, follow along yourself. Yeah, no, it's it actually like might help. Uh, if you're like out walking or commuting, don't sweat it. It's fine. You can always check later. And then there are some uh, exemptions for Section 11. Uh, exemption A, uh, official duties or function, uh, things permitted under the Elections Act, uh, i.e. if you're getting gifts under the Elections Act, i.e. Don't, political donations, things along those lines. Yeah, no, that's fine. No biggie. Um, the important one that we're going to, for our purposes, is uh, exemption B, that is given by a relative or friend. Which 
relative is well not that hard to define i think if you're like a long lost cousin i think they might not smile upon that uh but, but we it's got our pretty... ancestry.com report <laughs> 23 and me yeah we have the same haplogroup. group um but uh yeah no so the friend one is really the the one that's typically at issue here and yeah this this is perhaps the biggest one as you heard in the intro there trudeau's defense that he's maintaining publicly throughout the course of this is that the aga khan was in fact a close personal friend a close personal of his family friend. and of himself and of canadians to canada of all canadians um i think of him as a friend personally so this is perhaps the most interesting part of mary dawson's report where she basically although it took oh there is a c by the way quite a while yeah but c is less, c is useful. less useful here it's just basically that is received normal as a normal expression of courtesy or protocol as within the customary standards that normally accompany the public office holder's position yeah so, so being given like guitar. some trinket from like an ambassador is like it's fine fine you actually yeah. still have to report that you do a value of two hundred dollars yes that, and it goes to the gift registry no or yes it sorry. does yes um so what Mary Dawson did in her report is somewhat of a forensic audit of every communication Justin Trudeau and the Aga Khan have had over the past like 40 years. And it is actually very funny. <laughs> it's incredibly <laughs> funny to read through. Um, it starts with uh, the Aga Khan being, I believe it starts with the Aga Khan being a pallbearer at uh, Trudeau Sr.'s funeral. And then it mentions, you know, almost a 30-year absence in communication from that point. And then it discusses how the Aga Khan worked to rekindle their friendship once Justin Trudeau became leader of the Liberal Party and then really put his foot on the gas when Justin Trudeau became Prime Minister. And while Justin Trudeau perhaps felt um, that, you know, a friend of my father is now becoming my friend over time, and he made the argument in it, or his counsel made the argument, that he didn't feel like, as a just as an MP, he was of sufficient stature to be friends with the Aga Khan, that he looked forward when he was of a greater stature to rekindling that friendship sort of thing. I just imagine him like lying sleepless awake at night in like 2008 after being elected. He's like, I'm not worthy of the Aga Khan's friendship yet. I must go further. Um, and so what it shows is the Aga Khan then, you know, sending him letters and then starting to chat and then, you know, them going to dinners and things like that. Um, but Mary Dawson puts on sort of her, her cynical glasses and says it really seems that the Aga Khan gives this treatment yeah. to every prime minister. And her report, in fact, yeah. includes an analysis of how the Aga Khan... Um, behaved and was friends with former prime ministers, yeah. including Trudeau, as well as I think Stephen Harper is in there. Probably. So in a sense, he really is a friend to Canadians rather than to Trudeau. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. Like the opposite. Yeah. So you get sort of the impression reading through it that it's sort of the friendship that, you know, a CEO of a large multinational would have with every well, prime yeah. minister I mean, that it, comes it, through. She describes the first letter that the Aga Khan sent Trudeau when he became prime minister. And it's like a letter of congratulations and also like outlining the investments that like his center had made in Canada. And it's like, this is the letter you get from every stakeholder about anything at any time ever. Like at some point she starts talking about like, like hey, let us update you on what we've been doing recently. He's... Here's our annual report that we've like glossily printed three hundred copies of and here you go. <laughs> so admittedly <laughs> Hillstoppers know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so admittedly there is some of that there's some talk about him calling him Uncle K. Yeah. Which, which owns is <laughs> so good. Is a little weird. Yeah. Um like she talks she has details like his inscription on the birthday card that 
he sent him and stuff that's like that. That's some Roy Moore yearbook shit. That, that's why I call it, like, quite forensic. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, she lays out a fairly reasonable case that the Agra Khan, uh, the relationship between the Agra Khan and, the Tr- and Trudeau is not one of personal friendship. It's perhaps one of, she, I don't think she terms it this, but I will, professional friendship i.e. the relationship that the Aga Khan would have with any person in that office. Yeah. Except maybe for the Uncle K on the card. I mean, with maybe a slight personal touch in the sense that, yeah, like, he did know Justin when he was younger. Yeah. So fair, like, that's something. But, like, in the context of their overall relationship, it is secondary or ancillary to, really, the primary focus of the relationship, which is primarily one of business. And so because of this, she found that he was in violation of Section 11 of the Act, because the Agricon was not deemed to be sufficiently a friend for the purpose of the act. Which, I will say, she does not really phrase this in any way as to set a precedent. Um, and in fact, I'm not really sure that the Conflict of Interest Commissioner's reports do set precedents formally. Uh, but it would be odd if, given identical circumstances, one con- Conflict of Interest Commissioner ruled differently than another. No, I think they more or less do set precedents. I think they, so. They set not, interpretations like, of yeah. the act. Yeah. Um, that are then relied upon as, yeah. as she's the only commissioner we've ever had, then are the, relied this upon is the by... Kind of, this is the thing, is we're kind of in uncharted waters with this. Her other rulings. She actually... Yes. She actually... Uh, no, let me, let me amend the record here. In this, she talks about a previous report she'd issued yeah. uh, in regards to uh, a conservative minister whose name is eluding me right now, and she talks about his use of friend in, as a defense in terms of relationships and okay. that sort of thing that happened once before. And she talks about how that report, uh, parody, I think it's the parody report, um, Oh yeah, You're uh, right. impacted her analysis here. That's Yeah, I wonder how much future commissioners will defer to Mary Dawson's and it will, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I think they will probably will. But I think it's, it's probably safe to assume that there will be some degree of deference to, like, you know, Star Wars yes, principle. I, I think that's 100% right. But I think it's interesting to see how this will evolve, is all I'm saying. Yes, yeah. but I think it's significant here that there is no test in place. Yes, and that's what I was getting at. It remains to be an open question has of, kind of what exactly constitutes a friend. So yeah. not a friend here. But I'll take it on a case-by-case case basis. Yeah. So. Which is probably wise, I think. I think it is probably best. And she's done, I think, as you said, a forensic look at really the history of the relationship between these two people and determined that they're not friends because, like, I think you can just made a reasonable human judgment about it. And I think that's probably the way to do it. I don't know. I, if people have other thoughts on that, they can they can yell at us online. as uh... Or offline. If you see us on the street, just... Harangue us. So let's bridge over from the act to the code here very quickly because, interestingly, he was not found to be guilty under Section um, 14.1 of the Conflict of Interest Code, uh, which effectively is worded the same way. Um, Neither a member nor any member of a member's family uh, shall accept directly or indirectly, any gift or other benefit except compensation authorized by law that may reasonably seem to have been given influence uh, to influence, uh, been given to influence the member in the exercise of a duty or function of his or her office. Yeah, so that's more or less the same thing, except that here, and I'm sure Tan wants to explain the nuance here, and I'm not going to steal it from him. Fine. He, he was he was really happy about this. <laughs> we were talking about it before he started recording. So the they cannot here, conv- they cannot convict a husband and wife of the same crime. So the nuance here is that as he 
uh, was a member of parliament. It, it's in that last line, really, or in the last few words. As a member of parliament that might reasonably be seen to have given influence the member uh, in the exercise of a duty or function of his or her office. So she talks about how Justin Trudeau, as an MP, did nothing in the function of his or her par or his parliamentarian <laughs> office. Um, he didn't participate in debate. He wasn't in committee. He didn't, you know, ask a question in question period about anything related to the Aga Khan. So not, none of his parliamentary business mm -hmm. as, uh, as a parliamentarian impacted anything to do with the Aga Khan. That is, however, not the case with his... Um, actual, actual government function. As an executive, uh, Mary Dawson talks about five different instances. She talks about this particularly in the duty recused part. Uh, five different instances in which Trudeau engaged in official dealings in his responsibilities about uh, with the Agacon. Yes, and I be suppose it, it only remains for us to find out if they were direct and significant. <laughs> yes, be it in meetings or otherwise where he was engaged in official dealings in the office, and so that is why yes. it matters in the code and not in the act. So it's funny that two of these official briefings, or actually, or sorry, five or four of these events are really two events. It's just that they are broken up into... Uh, briefing from the Privy Council office before a meeting and then the meeting itself. Yeah, okay, so this brings us to section 21, uh, which is duty to recuse in the Act again. Yes. Um, which states a public office holder shall recuse himself or herself from any discussion, uh, decision, debate, or vote on any matter in respect of which he or she would be in a conflict of interest. Uh, so, yeah, she talks about five instances. Do you want to? Sure. Hit up with some examples. So the the first matched pair is a November 2015 dinner with the Aga Khan in Paris. So uh, shortly after the election victory and the swearing in of the Trudeau government in very early November of 2015, uh, most of them went off to Paris for the COP21 uh, Paris climate talks, uh, which gave us the Paris Agreement, among other things. Well, actually, really just that. Um and when he was there, he had dinner with uh, the Aga Khan. And before that dinner, uh, the Privy Council office briefed him on an outstanding $15 million grant to the Endowment Fund of the Global Center for Pluralism, which is a subsidiary of the Aga Khan Foundation, I believe, or at least is associated with it. Arms length. Yeah. Or, yeah, who knows? Um, it's part of the same Aga Khan family of philanthropic organizations. Um, anyway, a $15 million grant that was committed to by the previous government and on the possibility of the Agacon seeking federal funding for a riverfront renewal master plan, which I assume relates to the Ottawa site of the Global Center of Pluralism. Yeah, okay. it talks um, it talks a, at length about it in the report, Okay, and it comes up at several points. It's the Agacon apparently um, in the development of the Global Center for Pluralism. Which is along the river With in like Ottawa. a $300 million like pitch. Uh, to revitalize along the river, make walking trails, include a bridge from Majors Hill Park to Parliament, like a bunch of different things that the Aga Khan has pushed at several points. Um, and it's sort of weird. And, That's very weird. <laughs> um, I think he initially pushed it to the Harper government, who just no. put it in a drawer and forgot about it. Yeah. Um, and then it comes up at several points. There's a conversation that Trudeau raises it with Melanie Jolie, at oh, some dear point God. along the way. That's very inappropriate. Wow. And she yeah. says it's, uh, yeah, so it's, it's one <laughs> of the things she cites is like Justin Trudeau referencing things he discussed with Aga yeah. Khan and raising them with other ministers. So after this, this briefing, uh, where basically Privy Council office says, 
hey, we've given him a $15 million grant, and also he's going to ask you for money for this. He then goes to dinner uh, with the Aga Khan. Um, that dinner is characterized by Mr. Trudeau, quoting here, uh, by Mr. Trudeau and the Aga Khan is personal in nature. According to Mr. Trudeau, it was very likely that the Riverfront project was discussed at the dinner. So, and that's the first matched pair. The second is very similar. In preparation for a bilateral meeting with the Aga Khan to be held in May 2016 in the PMO, Mr. Trudeau is once again briefed by the Privy Council Office in respect to various matters, including the still outstanding $15 million grant and the Riverfront project, and then he has the meeting. So... Those are the first uh, four instances. The fifth instance is a telephone discussion. On September 20th, 2016, a telephone discussion between Mr. Trude and the Aga Khan was coordinated by the PMO and the Aga Khan staff. The discussion only dealt with one matter, a diplomatic matter that did not involve the Aga Khan or any of his institutions. So there you go. So those are the official, him uh, behaving in official functions relating to the Aga Khan and, you know, government business and stuff yes. like that. Yes, and what Mary Dawson says is, I determined that Mr. Trudeau had a number of official dealings relating to the Aga Khan and his institutions where he was exercising an official power, duty, or function. There's more, but that's really the long short of it. Prime Minister in respect to each of these occasions. Yes, I de- also determined he was provided with an opportunity to improperly further the private interests of the Global Center for Pluralism on two occasions in May 2016, during which discussions involving the, 25th, the $15 million grant to the endowment fund of the GCP, and should have recused himself from those discussions. There yes, so that brings us to the next one. Uh, which is Section 5 of the Act. Woo! Section 5 of the Act is entitled General Duty, um, and it is every public office holder shall arrange his or her private affairs in a manner that will prevent the public office holder from being in a conflict of interest. Right. Um, and that sort of flows from everything else. It's basically the don't be a shithead rule. Yes. Yeah. And tough here again. Because his private affairs overlapped with his official dealings, official affairs, there was there was problems. General duty checks that box. Um, yes. And this is basically, yeah, I, I just said it's the don't be a shithead rule. It's basically the don't do things that might make you look bad. And here she says he should have known uh, when he accepted to take these vacations, both in March and December 2016, um, that he would continue to have official dealings with the Aga Khan and that this was a bad decision that he should not have made, basically. Yes. Yes. So, there I, you go. There, yeah, there's sort of an interesting tension where... He failed if, to meet the general duty set out in Section 5. If you're going to say someone is your friend and you're going to use them as an offense, then you should probably recuse yourself from discussion of your friend's businesses. Yes. So, if I were in government and Etienne and I continue to be friends and we, we go have beers and... Probably don't do a podcast at that point, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, if anything having to do with the TN across my desk, I would probably just say, you know what? I can't deal with this. This has a friend involved and like, that's that. A TN know? Corp needs a permit to bulldoze a daycare. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, uh, you know, beat, beat some protesters. And I would just say, you know, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have any dealings with this and I would pass it off to someone else. But, um, yeah, that seems to just not have been the operating MO in, uh. The PMO. Which is sort of interesting because perhaps his staff considered that this relationship was more in a professional nature, but clearly Trudeau and Uncle K did not, so here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, or perhaps he cynically made the friend defense and then found himself in to cover his ass for the official dealings he had later, and there you go. Anyway. Yeah, it becomes very, very complicated. Yes. Um, one other um, 
thing, I guess, one other area of the act that Mary Dawson investigated and found no breach in relation to is worth mentioning. Um, so section 6.1 of the act, no public office holder shall make decisions or participate in making decisions related to the exercise of an official power, duty, or function if the public office holder knows or reasonably should know that in the making of the decision, he or she would be put in a conflict of interest. And so in this one, Mary Dawson said, there is no allegation that Mr. Trudeau in the exercise of an official uh, duty or uh, power or function had the opportunity to further his or her, or how, do we, how do we say his and her, no, his own private interests or those of a relative. Um, so she basically said she could not find any instance in which, you know, his signature was on the paper, there was an official decision made by Trudeau, et cetera, et yeah. cetera. Having discussions about official business and making a decision on official business, uh, for all intents and purposes, are split here. Yeah. And this has been, you know, sort of one of the defenses of, you know, partisan liberals online saying, well, he may have been in a conflict of interest, but he didn't do anything wrong, i.e. he didn't make any decisions. Yes. Um, to which I always refer them to the cabinet manual, which uh, <laughs> Trudeau put out, which said that the appearance and or strict compliance of the law is not enough. It needs to be beyond reproach. Yes. Like Caesar's wife, and like it's just they habitually don't do that. Yeah. So I mean, good. Just hold them to their own standards, guys. I, I think it is good that Trudeau lower the bar. did not push for three hundred million dollars in funding from <laughs> Bill Morneau yeah. based on a conversation with the Agricon. That would be an example where this would constitute a breach of this. Yeah. Um, but he seemed to have, you know, had the conversations and whatnot, so that was enough to break a lot of other sections of it. Yeah. Um, so this whole saga has actually a lot of things that sort of flow out of it. Indeed. Um, Is it, does that conclude our technical analysis? I, I think we can call that the conclusion yeah. of the technical I th analysis. I think there's more in there, but, like, that's fine. Like, yeah, short of reading it, it, it's a, I think it's a 60-page, maybe 70-page document. 74. 74-page document. It's incredibly readable. Yeah, Mary Dawson, for all, what are, what are her faults? Uh, she is a very lucid writer, and her, like, the thread of her analysis and decision-making is very easy to follow. So if you, I mean, if you ever have, if you're stuck at an airport uh, over the winter, you know, because of weather, Google for instance, the Trudeau Report. Google the Trudeau Report and give it, give it a read. Um... So moving on only a little bit, uh, let's talk about some of the broader implications of this. Yes. Um, let's start with the significance that it was the Agricon and not a CEO. Yeah, we were talking about this before we started recording, and it was, you know, what would it, what would the reaction have been had this been the, the CEO of RBC or a pharma company? Or... I'll always pick a mining company because that just a, riles a mining people company. up. Yeah, people don't like mining companies. Yeah, uh, you know, a bank, a pharma company, a mining company, you know, just the, the cuddly... The cuddliest, <laughs> friendliest companies out there. Um, yeah, so I think, frankly, that the just like it would have been very different. I think people would have been much more reluctant to take Trudeau at his word. I think the Aga Khan is a certain international mystique. You know, he's sort of like really he's a very twentieth century figure. Uh, really, nineteenth century in some ways. He's like a billionaire heir, religious leader who breeds racehorses, lives in Switzerland. Like owns a private island, like Mary's models. Is that a yeah? Lot? Like he's he's very much like a nineteenth century, the world, most interesting man in the world. He's he's a fantasiac, like sort of you know, uh, yeah, like the, the sort of flaneur uh, playboy, except you know also a very strict religious guy. I mean not strict, but like you know 
religious uh, man and all that. Additionally, because of his position in Canadian politics, and as we alluded to earlier, he has had a very good relationship with every political party. Yes. Um, conservatives. When he got his honorary citizenship. Take, like, take your pick. He's got along well. So this has been yeah. um, sort of a line yeah. that people were very um, hesitant to cross with personal criticism of the Agricons action. Yeah, because, I mean, to, to get an honorary citizenship of Canada, which he has, you need a unanimous vote in Parliament, yeah. which is... Rob Anders notoriously torpedoed the efforts of Canada to give Nelson Mandela an honorary citizenship. So it tells you the bar here uh, that is is quite high. Yeah, so widely, widely respected. And as being a billionaire, obviously, like, and the fact that all this was related to philanthropic organizations um, changes the context a little bit or a lot. What's what's your take? If, If it's... If the Global Center for Pluralism is instead the center for mining, um, <laughs> and it is extracting oil from the yeah. coast of the Ottawa River or the shore of the Ottawa River, those famous Ottawa Rivers <laughs> oil beds. Um, yeah. What's what's your take? Uh, I, I I agree. I think it is different. I, I think he gets judged much more harshly. People have a lot less patience for his excuses. People wouldn't buy that. Oh, you know, you're a friend. Okay, whatever. Like the CEO of RBC has to be friends with all these people, and like you know, whatever. I think I think you're right. That that does look really different. Um, you before we started recording, you you made some very astute observations on the nature of billionaire philanthropy that I'd like you to repeat for the record. I don't remember. You said something to no, the effect. No, I was just <laughs> okay, so in in reading through um, journalist tweets on this and different different commentators discussing this publicly, one of the defenses that came up uh, of Trudeau was, "Listen, the Argonne's a philanthropist. Like the fact that." He's trying to do public service and public good. We should judge this less harshly. I support philanthropy. I am, you know, a A plus for philanthropists. I think there is, however, a reality that we need to be cognizant of. And that is philanthropy is not 100% self-serving. Selfless. Sorry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other way around. <laughs> it's not a hundred percent selfless. Um, there's an aspect of philanthropy that is the pushing of an individual's own soft power. If you are a billionaire, a company owner, your ability to get audiences um, with politicians and your respect from your peers, etc., etc., etc is grown by doing philanthropy work. Yeah, and, like, certainly, like, people are willing, like, oh, this politician went to, like, a $5,000 table dinner. Oh, but it was for charity. Yes. Yeah. And so philanthropy has, for a long time and always will, be used as a form of, in addition to doing, you know, good for the world and and benefiting people, is also a form of self-power and exercising capital. Um, towards one's indi- one, an individual's own interest. I'm nodding furiously right now. Just <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think when we talk about organizations like this, we say, oh, well, it was, it was for a charity. Well, there's... There's charities know, there's, and there's charities. Yeah. When, yeah. when it comes to charities headed by a single individual... Um, who has you know the entire reins over the whole operation. And also, like keep in mind, is a billionaire heir like... Yeah, lives you, off his capital income investments. You have to start looking at like, the soft power implications yeah. of their philanthropy work and seeing how 
their donations and X, Y, Z expand their sphere of influence. Yeah. And, and so I think keeping in mind how spheres of influence grow through philanthropy work is actually very important when we talk about you know billionaire-led philanthropy projects. Actually, the point you make about spheres of influence there is a very is a very good not really a segue, but just a further elaboration on this point. I don't know if anyone's ever read um, Michael Walzer's uh, Spheres of Justice, but he makes uh, it's a very good argument about how inequalities in certain realms of human endeavor, be it you know physical or you know physical fitness, uh, material wealth, political power are fine so long as they do not compound, which is to say that your material wealth should not give you more political power than another person, right? Like that's sort of the argument of the sort of compound equality, compound inequality, and a sort of egalitarian argument for citizenship. I highly recommend the book, actually. It's very good, very readable. Uh, but I think uh, Etienne's points touch very materially on that. So uh, um, so regrettably, I think we somewhat agree on uh, on this point as well. Yeah, I know. I, people people have, have gotten in touch with us on Twitter and elsewhere in person to say, hey, why don't you guys disagree more on the show? And it's like, I honestly don't really know because we do disagree on a lot of issues. I just think we tend when we tend to read over things and preparing for shows, we sort of talk it out, which maybe is a bad thing that we sort of like come to a pre-recording consensus on some things. Uh, so I don't know, like, I legitimately am interested in making this show interesting to listen to, and if people think that would be better served by more debate, I am, I'm really open to that. I just want to know how we keep that interesting and not make it, like, you know, terrible, just, like, crossfire-style mudslinging. So, yeah, anyway, sorry, that's, like, kind of tangential, but, like, we're, we hear you on this, and we, we want to make the show interesting, so any suggestions are appreciated. Um, do, let, let's go on to the next point here. Sure. Um, which is... One of the interesting details that came out of this was that the Agricon is actually, uh, so when, when the report came out, people started looking at Karen Shepard, who is the lobbying uh, commissioner, yes. saying, so are you going to investigate the Agricon for lobbying? Yeah, because keep in mind, right? Yeah, the, like you would expect if this person was the CEO or ABC, that, that they would, there would be a problem. Reports yeah. and et cetera, et cetera, related to Canada's. Yes. Uh, lobbying rules. But here's a very special, special thing. So Karen Shepard's statement was, quote, After reviewing the information provided to me in the administrative review report, I have come to the conclusion that the Agricon receives no payment for his work on behalf of the Agricon Foundation Canada, and therefore does not engage in activities requiring registration as a lobbyist. Yeah. Consequently, the lobbyist code of conduct does not apply to his interactions with the Prime Minister. That is actually fascinating. The key part being... About remuneration. Remuneration. Isn't it remuneration? It's remuneration. Really? Yeah. It's a word I've been saying wrong for a very long time. That's okay. A lot of people there's, say that wrong. There's a lot of those. Yeah. Um, so for all intents and purposes... Same root word as munitions, actually. <laughs> that might interest you. It doesn't. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> for all intents and purposes... Oh, fuck now. off. <laughs> um, yeah, it's sort of really interesting that... Because he is not drawing a salary. Well, it's basically if you only live off capital income instead of labor income, you're golden. You can't be a lobbyist. Like, if you just live off, like, your investments. No. Uh, he's not I, receiving a salary. No. Yeah. I, I, so 100%. I, so I think it would sort of come down to, like, a direct versus indirect. Um, We're how not good directly, at that in this country. How directly you're getting money from the company. Like, if you... Say you're uh, a billionaire who has a 25% uh, 
holding in Morneau Chappelle, for instance. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Just posit that. Stipulated, okay. And you are not drawing a salary, but you're the CEO. Let's, yeah. let's just presume that. Okay. Um, but you have, you know, you get uh, quarterly dividends. Yeah. I think, and you engage in lobbying activities, I think, I, I don't think this case has arisen yet, but I would guess that the lobbying commissioner would determine that to still be lobbying because your financial interests are... What if your assets were in a blind trust? <laughs> I think, anyway, I think it bears thinking about. I, I think that this billionaire lobbyist who, like, is, like, just secretly owns everything and lobbies without having to register is probably, like, not going to happen. Like, that guy probably has better things to do with his time. Uh, but, eh, interesting it, question. It, no, but it does ha- it does happen, especially in the world of philanthropy, though. Yeah. Because if you're a, you know, you don't have to be a billionaire, but a multi-million dollar uh, heir who becomes active in, you know, Save the Ducks. And as the Save the Ducks millionaire, you're not drawing a salary from Save the Ducks. You're drawing a salary from... Everything else you do. You turn the ducks into Fuel Incorporated. <laughs> <laughs> um... But and so you you can go and you can engage in acts of lobbying on behalf of Save the Ducks, but because yeah. you're not drawing a salary from Save the Ducks, you're not hitting some of the check marks in terms of lobbying laws in Canada, which is interesting. That is interesting. So I don't know. We'll see what comes of that. Probably nothing. But uh, yeah. So the, another point I want to touch on was the timing of uh, this report coming out, uh, yeah. which was both like. The week before Christmas and the week after Parliament rose. So perhaps my single biggest criticism of this entire report is, like, I actually, having gone through it, I agree in effectively every instance with how Mary Dawson ruled. Um, I just don't know why it took so long. Well, there is a section on process in the report, and it basically just says that she sent some letters in uh, January and February and then interviewed Trudeau in April, and that's kind of it. So Yeah, it's sort of underwhelming. It doesn't really explain. I mean, the evidence presented in the report, obviously she gathered documents from the AgriCon. She interviewed Melanie Jolie, I believe, is one of the implications in there. She interviewed Trudeau perhaps multiple times. So, like, she obviously talked to a lot of people and yeah. then had to write it all down and put the pieces together. So it's I, a lot of work, but I'm I would not love sure to see some more months of work. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see a more detailed breakdown, but I mean, but worse yet, she's on her way out. Worse yet, it was eight months of work that culminated in the report being released on like December yeah. 25th. I, I think that's when she had the press. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that that's really my point. Is a couple that days before that. It was sure. after Parliament had risen for the holidays. Yeah. And it was just before Christmas. Yeah. Which is like prime media dumping day. Yeah. And to be fair, like it's not necessarily your job as confidence commissioner to make bad headlines for the government. At the same time, I think there's like a legitimate public interest angle that you want the prime minister to be questioned in parliament on you're an officer of parliament that you serve that body i think you can reasonably deduce that it's in the public interest that your reports be released in a timely manner enough so that parliament can question it and you certainly don't release it right before everyone tunes out of politics for like three weeks so i i really think that that was like kind of a poor show on her part, especially considering the Parliament doesn't rise again until February. So let me put on or the, the very end of January. The old devil advocate's hat here and say, do you think it would be a political decision of the commissioner 
if she were to release the report based on political considerations. I, I, I honestly think it's a, it's a tough line to, to draw. I think there is a certain public interest provision that you have to think about because you are an officer of parliament. You do have an accountability to the public interest to some degree. And I think you are, there's a line, right? And I think um, you certainly don't need to calculate your release to do maximum damage. I think that's what, probably going too far. But I think releasing a report while parliament is sitting, if you're an officer of parliament, is like reasonable. Like a lot of other government entities basically work that way. Yeah, because they work parliament, on ta- parliament tabling dates. Yeah, and, parliamentary entities, I should yeah. add, not government ones. But... Uh, so I don't know. I, I think that's like a not unreasonable thing to ask that it be done while Parliament is sitting. So here's here's my pushback again. Um, done while Parliament is sitting. She missed Parliament sitting by about um, the, these are five guess days, numbers. Maybe? Yeah, about yeah. a week is what I was gonna say. Um, but if she had done if, it on the last day they were sitting or something. Well, no, no. What I'm gonna say is last day is obviously not good. Yeah. Last two days still not somewhat great. problematic. So you're looking at one to two weeks earlier? Yeah. As opposed to later, because later wasn't an option because Mary Dawson retires this week. Yeah. Or on Monday, I think, is her last day, Monday, January 8th. Um, So pushing it past the holidays is equally problematic logistically for her. Oh, yeah. I get that she was kind of put into a tough situation here, but, like, I think the the answer here is, like, maybe be more timely with producing it. I mean, I don't don't like to second-guess people with difficult jobs a lot of the time, like... So on stuff that I don't have a lot of insight into the process in, but... So let me ask you, did you uh, discuss it around the Christmas table? No, my parents still live in Canada, so they don't follow the stuff at uh, all. Yeah. I have actually not heard... I mean, my Christmas family was all gathered together. I, I don't think anyone discussed it. This, this is always the thing, right? Some people were arguing that, you know... Being released just before a holiday, like Thanksgiving or Christmas, gives the opportunity of families to gather well, you know, and discuss funny. politics around it's, the it's table. Funny. There's and... such a different valence in the coverage of Thanksgiving and Christmas. Because Thanksgiving, it seems that like newspapers and magazines and media more generally are all just completely convinced that all anyone talks about while they're eating turkey is politics. But then Christmas, no one ever seems to presume you're talking politics at Christmas. That's true. Like I, I, the liberals did true. not release turkey talking points for Christmas, <laughs> though turkey is commonly also eaten at Christmas and at Thanksgiving. I, so. I think they just wanted you to recycle the ones from November, maybe, because, but, uh, or from no, not November. I'm not American. Yeah, from, what is this? from October. What is this? Uh, because it's they, they wouldn't have the, changed much. They're still all about. It's Henry revealing his Koch brothers funding right the, there. The middle class and those hoping to, to uh, join it. But then it, it, I don't know, like. If anyone has any insight as to why Christmas and Thanksgiving, both turkey-eating holidays, uh, are treated so vastly different in political polarization and valence, DM me or just tweet us. Fair, fair. Yeah. So Mary Dawson is retiring on Monday. Um, Mario Dion is going to be the new Conflict of Interest Commissioner. Yes. Um, And then on Tuesday... um, Ethi, which is the House Standing Committee on Ethics, um, is going to meet uh, off schedule, basically, um, for a motion or attempted motion, or I'm I'm not sure exactly what procedurally it is, I think it's a motion, to call, or not call, to invite, because that is the power they're exercising, to invite Trudeau to testify uh, in front of the committee on ethics, 
to defend himself, basically, to give his opening statement and to present his defense and then to be questioned by opposition and yes. government. Which, if his interview with Rosemary Barton was any indication, uh, he's not super good at. No. Hopefully he's brushed up a bit. But. There's not a lot of defense. It's mostly just doing the mea culpa thing. Yeah. Um, do you think the liberals will let the motion go, or do you think they'll shoot it down? I think they'll shoot it down. I think they'll say he's apologized, the, conflict, the, the commissioner's made a ruling, we're, we're working with the conflict risk commissioner every day, yeah. as we do on every issue. But respect for parliament, LeBron, respect for parliament. I don't think anyone gives a shit about that. Um, I tend to agree with you. Yeah. I think the liberals will shoot it down and will not just let Trudeau get hammered by Peter Kent for uh, yeah. an hour. Yes. It would be tough for the liberals to... It would be a very hard and very interesting decision if they let Trudeau go. If they go. let him do it, I think they, there's no way in hell. I, I really don't think they do it. I, I tend to agree this. So if they do let him do it, here's here's sort of the staffer lens to it, the, the comms lens. If they do let him do it... It's like an hour of clips, It's man. an hour of clips that are going to be on the coverage and it's going to be on attack ads on Facebook, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Ontario Proud will post like 80 different videos. <laughs> If you don't do it, there are news articles by, you know, process journalists at the like CBC and elsewhere. That no one cares about. Not even, not even a week. It's a single day story that yeah. says committee motion voted down and no one, everyone's eyes glaze over when they see yeah. the word motion and committee. And yeah. just, uh, and I actually done. have, like, I've, I've really, it's really bad because in my, my current work, it's like, I, I see those words and I immediately faint. And it's like, <laughs> it's it's actually kind of a liability. And it's a... Um, so yeah, I, I think the prediction for Tuesday is nothing happens. I think that's and a... the opposition bludgeon yeah. the government with a little bit, and it goes nowhere. Who knows though? We might have a um, North Korea. Speaking more broadly, though, to sort of the respective parliament theme, um, one of the reasons Trudeau's apology rings sort of hollow is one: when you look at the way his council tried to defend him with things like avion versus aircraft. Yeah. Um, which come out as... Some re- debate school shit stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah. Just... That, but also their refusal to discuss it in Parliament, their refusal to be forthright with, like, simple questions as to how many times has the commissioner interviewed you. Yeah. Well, it's... And then you always get, well, the, the well, the conservatives, to which I always reply, the, the, the website in 2015 wasn't ca. Yes. So, do, uh, do better, liberals. Yeah, I, I think that is one of the interesting things to look at here, is to see, I, I think uh, instances such as this can give you a good um, case study of how partisan someone is. Yeah. If a friend who supports Trudeau generally can look at this and say, you know, Trudeau screwed up, he's apologized, it was pretty mediocre, I'm disappointed in him. I think that is the right reaction. The thing is, you can be disappointed and still say, I agree with the overall thrust of his government. We'll probably vote for his party next time anyway. Absolutely. And, like, that's fine. Like, whatever. Okay. You have to get over that cognitive dissonance of saying, I love Trudeau. He can do no wrong. Yeah. Here's excuse one, excuse two. Like, yeah. Well, ugh. you know, it's really funny, actually. You know, we always say, you know, speaking of, of highly, you know, cult of personality parties with, like, strong internal controls we refer to them typically as, as leninist as like an adjective we like to throw around a lot right and it's really funny to read about like the the pre like 20s soviet uh bolshevik party in that basically members of that historical party like before uh 
like the later years of, of Lenin's administration and then Stalin, uh, that basically like members of that party saw it as like their God-given right to critique the leader on everything often, and that they they made their opinions known all the time and were generally an enormous thorn in the side of the leader. And like our parties are actually more Leninist than Lenin's was in a lot of ways, <laughs> in the sense that it is like forbidden to criticize a leader in like any forum, public or private. Uh, and it's it's very touchy with with leaders in in Canada. So Trudeau had going into this whole election thing, promised to do things somewhat differently, um, and a lot of it has fallen to the wayside. I think it's very hard to govern in our news cycle and our media environment and our partisan environment in a way that doesn't turn into like a cult of personality and leader centric focus what one of the instances from earlier this year that i'll bring up is wayne long uh wayne long was one of the dissenting mps who was pushing back vocally against the business uh small business tax uh not cut but tax changes changes, yes uh pitched by morneau and finance canada and he was um, stripped of committee chairship or not chairship rather uh, role on whatever committee he was on and marginalized as an MP for speaking out and voicing his constituents concerns this is something that every party when they are in election mode promises to do differently they're going to empower MPs and et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Um, and yet it's really always interesting to watch when MPs speak out the liberals have had a few um who speak out, but they're generally quirky ones um, who are likely destined for the backbenches forever. So it's your choice whether or not you want to punish or marginalize them or just let it ride. Um, To to the credit of the man who speaks in our intro, Wayne Easter was somewhat outspoken on the tax changes. Yes, the the Wayne Um, block. The block win. And the gavel didn't come down on him quite as hard. Yeah. Um, so it was interesting to see him exert a little more autonomy, and he's more uh, a more seasoned MP than Wayne sen- Long. It's because he sends those delicious Malpec oysters to the <laughs> annual Liberal Christmas party, and no one can turn those down. And so, yeah, I mean, just a, a complete aside, but it was interesting to see how Wayne Long faced more consequences than Wayne Easter for saying fairly comparable things, it, as, it, as the Liberals were trying to keep the cork on the whole small business tax change thing earlier indeed. this year. Yes. I do like how they're both Waynes from Atlantic Canada. They are both Waynes. Yes. Um, to make mention uh, of Mario Dion. Oh, yeah. Uh, very quickly, he is our new incoming uh, conflict of interest commissioner. Um, he starts on Monday. Godspeed, Mario. I watched some of his committee appearance um, where the committee was vetting him. It was actually super interesting. Uh, they went through his background in pretty fine detail, and he talked about his work. He had some minor controversies, had been appointed at multiple instances by liberal and conservative governments. Mm-hmm. Um, Including, uh, he was one of the uh, people instrumental in doing the um, Indian Residential Schools Agreement. Yes. Which is a controversial, though, yeah, it's an interesting piece of work. Uh, um, I thought, perhaps, just, just to give credit where it's due, Nathan Cullen asked a great question, um, which Mario Dion successfully sidestepped. Uh, he said, as the conflict of interest commissioner, or the paraphrasing, uh, do you think, in your in your opinion, oh, yeah. has your appointment been a conflict of interest? 
or unethical or something along these lines, and he just dodged that question. Um, but that was, I, I thought, a very good and funny question because of the controversy surrounding his appointment sort of getting hammered through with very little consultation. Yeah. I believe it's the subject of litigation by uh, Democracy Watch and our good friend. I mean, they're always litigating. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah, take, take that as you will. Yeah. Um, that That's their job is to play... Litig- litigant? They were certainly crying about some large lupine creature <laughs> of some sort. Um, they do good work. It's just like they, they, they are they are very, very, very avid watchdogs. I think I'll put it that way. Um, yes, exuberant in yeah. their in their Defensive democracy. A, which, a little bit you like... You know, it's for a good cause. I'll put it that way. Um, yeah, so I think that uh, brings us to the conclusion. That'll do it for us uh, for this this January 6th Until, episode. you know what the next big uh, conflict of interest report coming out is? I actually don't, off the top of my head. Billy Morneau. Oh yeah, right, duh. So God, yeah. I talked about this for all the fall and then I'm away a couple measly weeks and I instantly forgot. There you go. Yeah, um, yeah it was sort of interesting to see that uh, Mary Dawson punted this one to Mario Dion. Um, so that ball's in his court now. He yeah. has, based on timelines, probably about you know three to four years to complete that investigation. <laughs> yeah, Mary Dawson, I'd say, really good at, at kicking cans down the road. She should uh, try out for for the Seahawks. Uh, they need a new kicker. Anybody else watch that game? No, okay, sorry. Sports, sports, my friend. Um, so yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. It'll be his big report and. God knows he's being thrown into the fire with a spicy first one. Indeed, and I, that will mostly do it. Can, can I tell one amusing anecdote that your reaction to my sports uh, thing just, just brought up? What? It's the what? first time uh, any of us <laughs> met Rob Silver. Uh, it was the first day of uh, the Master of Political Invention program at Carleton. And uh, Rob Silver comes in, he's the communications prof, and he's just asking everyone to introduce themselves. And Etienne is, is like sitting arms folded <laughs> over at the end of the table. And uh, he introduced himself by saying like something like I play a lot of board games and true. and Rob Silver, you know, being a human being, tries to <laughs> connect with Etienne and say, Oh yeah, I do a lot of fantasy baseball and he's like, Yeah, I don't care about sports <laughs> just like <laughs> just completely repudiates him. <laughs> uh yeah, sports. Yeah, not not a chance thing. Anyway, so that'll that'll do it for the boys in short pants this week. Uh, throw us a review on iTunes if you have not already. They they do help uh, more people see the show and, and all that, which is which is good. We like people smash, to listen to smash it. Smash that like button. Smash that subscribe button. Don't forget to rate and review. Um, like a bad twelve year old YouTube pundit. Yeah. Well, at least we're not taking uh, videos of corpses in the suicide force, buddy. Like. Uh, Uh, Don't, just stay off the internet, everyone. Okay, that'll do it for us. Uh, Bye, everyone.